when I walked into her classroom the first time, she didn't even look up from her desk. She said, who are you? And so I put a big smile on my face and introduced myself and um, she kind of caught herself and stood up a little straighter. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I think she's like, I'm just having a long day. I'm like, it's okay. Welcome to How To. I'm Courtney Martin. Think about the last time you met someone new. How did it go? Did the conversation flow easily or was it one of those rocky rides with awkward silences? Did you actually get to know them? Now, if it's someone you may never see again, the stakes are pretty low. I mean, I absolutely live for a sweet encounter with a stranger, but you know, its sweetness is rooted in the fact that it's brief and largely inconsequential. But the stakes are so much higher if it's a new coworker, let alone dozens of new coworkers. It was overwhelming the first few weeks of school just because I have 26 classrooms this year. Meet Andrea. She's a former preschool teacher. And three years ago, she transitioned from teaching kids to teaching other teachers. My role is to really connect with the teachers so that I can kind of give them coaching support and kind of engage them in reflective teaching practices. It's the kind of mentorship that she really valued when she was a teacher. But her district is so big that all of the classrooms she's coaching are new to her this year. Plus, they're at different schools, so she's in a different building every single day of the week. Can you imagine how difficult it is to get to know all the new faces and names, much less their strengths and challenges? I have 26 classrooms this year, which also involves um, aides in the classroom. So 26 times two, and then principals and vice principals, and just kind of making connections with everybody in the buildings that I go in, even like custodial staff, because we interact with them a lot um, for pre-K students in classrooms. So all of the connections that needed to be made, um, and just not really sure how to connect quickly and build trust with these teachers so that when it comes to the point that I need to give them some feedback that they are willing to listen. To make matters even trickier, Andrea doesn't even have time for a solid first impression with a lot of her teachers and their classroom aides. I just kind of have the time where I can pop my head into the classrooms briefly and introduce myself and get their email and um, ask them if they need anything in that moment, which usually they don't. They're all kind of frantic because they have a room full of 15 preschoolers that they've never met before, a lot of times crying, and it's a quick introduction. Which is, of course, understandable, but for Andrea, it means that they don't get to know each other that well, which also means giving feedback is all the more challenging. So on today's show, we're gonna figure out how to build trust fast. And to do so, we're bringing in a pro who has done this hundreds of times over. My name is Marlon Stiles. I'm just a inspired, energetic educator, loves connecting with other practitioners in the field. I'm here to serve. Fun fact about me, I love to dance, I love to sing, but I'm the worst dancer you could ever imagine in your entire life. I'm terrible. <laughs> when I first met Marlon, first story I was reporting, he was the superintendent of a district in Southwest Ohio in the midst of a crisis. 
Now, Marlon managed not only to turn around the culture of the district, which is no small feat, but he travels the country teaching other educators how to do that same thing. Now, one of his secret weapons is his ability to connect with people and instantly gain their trust. So, whatever your field, he's got wonderful tips for making an amazing first impression. Trust me, you're not gonna wanna miss this. Before Marlon Stiles was a superintendent, a principal, and a middle school teacher, he was just a kid who spent his Saturdays at his grandma's house. First of all, she was a phenomenal cook. The best fried chicken wings you've ever had in your life, best homemade ice cream, sweet potato pie was just ridiculous. But she always made sure that the time we spent together, and this is definitely um, applicable in, in instructional coaching, that the time we spent together Every time you left our interaction, you were better off than you were when you first walked in, right? That's a Grandma Watson staple. Folks across the community sat at her kitchen table. She poured into other people. Marlon learned how to figure out what others need, how to motivate them, how to work alongside them to make beautiful things happen. And while we know sweet potato pie helps, it all relies on a foundation of trust. But the first step of trust is authentic, meaningful connection. How do we just shake hands and get to know each other, right? If you and I are going to be working together before the work actually begins, you got to know who the heck I am and I need to get to know you so I can decide if I'm really going to become vulnerable with you or not. So uh, a strategy to really consider about connection before trust is, can you take five minutes and just conduct and facilitate an empathy interview where you just toss questions at me and you get to know me, would you be willing to have the role switched where for five minutes I get to interview you and truly get to know your spirit, your passion around coaching, your passion around education and all the things you're doing and why you're doing it. Could you give an example of an empathy uh, interview question that you might use? An empathy interview question would be, hey, could you just tell me a little bit about your your job? What does your day look like? Something as simple as that. Can, can you share a little bit about uh, your passion around working for uh, young students versus high school students? Really big softball questions. It gives the other person a chance to just share their spirit. Hmm. Also, I'm hearing that it, it's not some kind of harebrained connection. It's like, it's on topic. It's like, what is your passion for this work? It's not some, you know, sort of out of left field question, which may actually throw people off. It's something like, you know, squarely in like, here we are together. What's your passion? What brought you to this room today? I could tell you a little bit about mine and I want to hear yours. That makes a lot of sense. You got it. Andrea, do you feel like you could adapt what Marlon is saying? Yes and no, especially because it's the beginning of the year that we're trying to develop that connection that you can't really have long conversations in a pre-K classroom. Even even like a minute might be too long. I kind of just have to jump in and go along with what's happening in the classroom. However, during our biweekly grade level meetings, I feel like this would be a great opportunity to get to know the staff on this level and connect with them in this way. So I think that I could in that setting. Here's our first tip. 
Before you get down to business with someone, get to know them a bit beyond their title or role. As hectic as new beginnings are, even just a few minutes of dedicated, humanizing conversation can make all the difference down the line. Now, if you're both game, an empathy interview could be a great tool, but really at the heart of it is just being genuinely curious about them and their passions to look for connections. Right now, I feel like the ways that I develop connection with the teachers is usually common interests or common connections in our life. So I have three kids. We live in the same city where I work. When I start talking about my kids or kind of slip it into conversation, if they're talking about their kids, um, it's an automatic connection because everybody likes to talk about their kids, right? While having kids and living in the same city is a decent connection point, sometimes it's not enough. Andrea says for her, first impressions are especially difficult. Look, she works in a very diverse school district in terms of race, generation, and class. So she's understandably worried that some teachers think she's younger and less experienced than she really is. And there are just some very real barriers. Some of the teachers might be thinking, this woman doesn't look like me or sound like me. How can I trust her? It's always on the mind, right? That that idea of trust, because we're in a people business. Uh, one thing that is has been a strategy of mine, and Andrea, hopefully this kind of kind of helps you. Uh, I've always been of the belief that it's not what you do for others; it's what you put into others. Before I put something into you, I need to understand what it is you're looking for as far as a support, right? This is a, a relationship, a partnership, and I'm here to support you. So. Um, really understanding where they're coming from, but I always try to invite a space where I'm here to co-design this journey together. It takes humility, especially coming in as the person with more power. The onus is on you to get to know the person you're going to be working with. Essentially, it shouldn't be you implementing a program. The coaching relationship should function more like dating, according to Marlon. Look, you both have a say, you both are bringing ideas and gifts to the table, and you're creating something together. It will no doubt take time. But try to paint the picture of an elongated relationship uh, versus, um, hey, I'm here to just have a very brief interaction. In my experience in the past, uh, really establishing that this is a solidified long-term partnership has is, is really yielded some, some great relationship and trust gains. Um, I like that. My, my mind is spinning right now. You kind of pose it like you're on the same team as them, like you're like you're working together, really, to have this um, impact on the students in the classroom, and that I'm not just an outside person, that I'm really there to work with them. And when they have problems, I'm here. That's what I'm here for. Is to you can come to me, and and I can I can help solve those problems, and we can work together to figure it out. But to speak it out loud, I think is is important for the teachers to hear just so that they're aware that I'm in it with them. I'm going to be here for a while. Yeah, Andrea, that's actually such a good point, the speaking it out loud. It sounds small, but I do hear that in what you're saying, Marlon, that part of this, whether you're in an educational setting or some other professional setting, sometimes it's about just being very explicit. Like I'm in this with you for a long time, like whether that's the nine months or whatever, um, you know, if it's a fiscal year, if you're in a professional standpoint, like saying that, and I want to accompany you, I'm not a supervisor, 
um, mm-hmm. or like, mm-hmm. you know, looking down on mm-hmm. you. I'm next to you. And I want to know, like, what kind of teacher do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Like what and how do I accompany you for these nine months? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just lean on it like a relationship. Right. When I was a middle school student trying to date Amy Stewart, who was a cheerleader, it went awful because I didn't communicate. Right. She didn't even know I liked her. Right. But I had a huge crush on her, but she didn't even know it. Uh, to now in a relationship. Oh, Amy, if you're out there, he's taken. Sorry, now you it's know, over. Now you know, now you know, right? <laughs> but in late. a relationship now, right, it's important. Communication is absolutely critical. Um, so, so I would stress just the verbalization, um, really articulating what we're going to do together. Sometimes it's about uh, celebrating moments and people throughout the journey. It could yield some huge momentum across the staff in the building, but more importantly, uh, it's an invitation for other staff members to potentially open their doors up to invite you in and, and have a different impact with their relationship with them. I love, first of all, that you you kind of frame it as like an invitation. Like once the staff members are celebrated, that we can see it as an invitation for others um, and that they would hopefully more likely be willing to open up their doors, um, for me. Um, I, what do we need to do? Like what, like walking into a classroom, what do I need to fix? You know, it's not my natural kind of tendency to celebrate those moments. So even just you saying that is another great reminder for me. Okay. So far we've talked about carving out time for an empathy interview, finding points of connection and taking time to celebrate. But sometimes that's not enough. I heard a friend of mine, Joe Sanfilippo, really just shook my world. He said, and I might be paraphrasing her, Joe, so give me some some grace here. Uh, you could build culture 30 seconds at a time. Um, so for me, what, what that means is we're all in it together, right? Take the title, take the badge, take the position off. That's my role is like, the, I think that I build trust that way with teachers just get rid of the title. Like we're all on the same level. And that if I walk into a classroom that I just jump in and help out, change a kid who, you know, soiled themselves like that just builds trust with teachers. Um, so I think I love that it's intentional. We get to a cultural position where uh, position doesn't matter. Then in my role as superintendent, my role as an administrator, your role as a coach, my role as a teacher, whatever that role may be as we're sitting at the same table, I always try to encourage from a cultural standpoint, opportunities to provide mentorship and sponsorship. Meaning if I see you doing something great and fantastic, my obligation to you as a partner, somebody you trust, somebody who's got a great relationship with you, my obligation to you is to elevate what you're doing so that the culture of the organization or school community can benefit. Um, Nothing feels better than when you have an instructional coach uh, who can really inspire other staff members to showcase some of their, their best practices, some things that are working great for kids. If you can get some early momentum with that, that's a, a, a momentum starter. Maybe you get just two people to start out with, right? That's great momentum. Uh, can you get those trailblazers to inspire two of their friends to come on board? Now you got a small critical mass you're starting to build momentum. Um, so from a culture standpoint, right, those unique investments and in moments and people uh, to get them on board is is absolutely critical. 
Uh, your title is just as important as my title was as a superintendent. We're here to serve people. But if we can get people excited to take center stage and showcase, uh, kids will win in the end. So I would encourage you to start with a couple people and identify some trailblazers that really want to go set the world on fire um, and want to set the staff on fire and their colleagues on fire and try to create sponsorship moments where you can really amplify what they're doing and get them to get other people's heart to be just as excited and fast as yours is. I like that. I like that because some of the schools that I go to, like they already have their culture present in their school, you know, because they're their own little learning community. And so to step into that, uh, I think that's such a wise thing to do is to like find the two people maybe that are the most influential possibly in that culture that already exists and highlight them and go from there. Yeah, let's let's lean on each other real fast, right? Because I used to think the same thing. I would go into a school building, like, all right, I'm going to find the two top dogs. We're going to give them some motivation. <laughs> We're going to rock it, and, and other people will follow, right? But you've, you've got that, and Courtney taught me this, you got that quiet majority who's just as passionate um, as as the two top dogs, right? The two influential people. Yeah. Can you find no, the most passionate, and can you give them the fuel and the courage they need to join that same fight uh, and that same call to action that you have, right? Can you find the right ones that are going to mm -hmm. deeply and passionately and emotionally get involved to try to inspire somebody else? Whoever that person or those people may be, as long as it's the right person, right? Because the idea is to generate momentum in the culture. Um, we want to have that invitation open for everyone. I want to highlight that because what Marlon is saying is kind of counterintuitive. It can be easy to look for the top dogs and align yourselves with them, but they might not be the ones you actually need. Sometimes the people with the most moral authority in a given organization aren't really the loudest. What we've learned is don't mistake bluster for influence. Okay, so we've learned a little about how to gain trust, but just as importantly, how do you keep it when things inevitably go wrong? And they do. We've all been there. When we come back, we're going to talk about what to do when a work relationship hits the rocks. So stay with us. We're back with our expert, Marlon Stiles, and Andrea, a preschool instructional coach who wants to know how to build trust quickly with the 52 educators she works with each year. Now, before the break, we were talking about building connections and a culture of trust with new coworkers. It is just as important to maintain relationships as it is to get them off on the right foot. For a coach like Andrea, that means flyby check-ins. I try to always say things like, I'm always here for you if you need me. I ask the question, is there anything I can do to help you? Or is there anything that I can do that would make your job easier? You mentioned drive-bys, fly-bys. I did those all the time. Uh, but as I did those drive-bys, it was always trying to get feedback uh, from those out on the, the front lines doing the heavy lifting. So. I would always ask just questions. I try to be as consistent as I possibly could around topics that were on my mind, regardless of what those topics were. Uh, but it might just be as simple as how's it going, right? I'm not leaning you one way or the other, just how is it going? 
you're going to give me your position. Um, and if we've got a great relationship, you know, I, I'm, I'm inviting you to be honest with me and I'm going to listen. How's it going? My favorite question, and I used to do this with principals and our valuations and our, our meetings all the time is the last thing I say to them, um, is how can I better support you? They just leave it very lofty like that. 90% of the time, I always got nothing. There's nothing you can do to better support me. But every now and then, someone might drop something that says, hey, I really need whatever that thing may be. And to be willing to hear that you can support me better than you currently are is, is a pretty powerful piece of feedback to be able to take it back um, and really try to respond to what their needs are. Definitely. I'm thinking of a teacher from last year that was really kind of standoffish to me to begin with. Like when I walked into her classroom the first time, she didn't even look up from her desk, but I just kind of walked in to introduce myself at the beginning of the year. And she said, who are you? <laughs> and so I put a big smile on my face and introduced myself. And um, she kind of caught herself and stood up a little straighter. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> She's like, I'm just having a long day. I'm like, it's okay. Um, but she was new to the district, but not new to teaching. Um, and so I think in my time that I spent in her classroom, it was consistency that I came every single week that I was in that building, I didn't always go to the same classroom. You know, I might be at the, at the school, but I may not go to all, you know, nine classrooms in that building, but I went to hers every single week. I was available to her. Um, and times when she knew she was going to be alone in the classroom, she would reach out to me and send an email, kind of an SOS the night before and say, are you, can you, come help tomorrow. I'm going to be by myself. Um, so I think that that helped build trust with her. Um, doing the reflective cycle process with her throughout last year, I think just kind of highlighting the good that I saw, that that was hard for her to see um, herself. But me saying, you know what, I see such growth. Like, think about when I first did your large group observation, and this is what happened. But look at what happened this last time and that, you know, we're several weeks into this. I see amazing growth in you and just being able to help her identify that in herself that she wasn't able to. I think those are kind of like the top ways that, that I built trust with that relationship. Uh, I want to encourage you to um, think about those three things as your all the time behaviors. Not some of the time, not in some relationships, but all the time behaviors in every single coaching relationship you have with those that you support, right? That you just identified what you're dynamic at, being consistent, being available and offering opportunities for collaborative reflection, right? Those are three dynamic traits you bring to every relationship that you have. And if those are all the time present, um, then it invites greater trust between you and the person that you're trying to serve. So I want to encourage you or any instructional coach or any listener who's tuning in right now to really identify what it is you do best um, and really 
really challenge yourself to think about are these all the time behaviors or some of the time behaviors um, and continue to reflect on, on ways to really strengthen those. I love that. That's so cool. I know in my own work as a journalist, as an example, there have been times when I had someone that I really wanted to spend some time with that I knew was skeptical of me. And I often found that those people ended up being my best sources and the most interesting stories I ever wrote. I actually was thinking about it. I wrote a book called Do It Anyway, The New Generation of Activists. And I asked a friend who's the most dynamic teacher you've ever seen in a classroom, who's, I was, it was all 35 and under at the time, because I was like 34. And I was like, let's define young as anything under 35. <laughs> so so this, this friend of mine said, without skipping a beat, Dina Simmons, seventh grade classroom in the Bronx. So I called Dina Simmons out of nowhere, this regular classroom teacher. And I said, I'd love to come to your class and observe you and write about you. And she was so skeptical of me. She's like, who the hell is this journalist? And why would a journalist want to like come hang out in my classroom? But to your beautiful point, Andrea, I just kept showing up and kept trying to prove to her, like, I have really good intentions here. I really want to understand why this other person said, right away you like he didn't skip a beat and i've seen that in many of the stories that i've loved most that i've worked on is that it wasn't an easy first phone call like the first impression wasn't necessarily just like automatic connection it was like okay this person has been through some things that has led them to have some hesitancy towards whether it's my profession or you know that i'm a white woman or whatever the thing might be like i'm gonna stick in it and and give them a reason to trust me. Um, and then the, that can be so rewarding. So I was wondering, Marlon and Andrea, if either of you wanted to talk a little bit about like that dynamic of, we always say like first impressions are everything, but actually like first impressions can often <laughs> go very south in relationships that over the long term are super meaningful. Marlon, do you have any stories from your past that this triggers for you of moments when you've like won someone over over time? <laughs> well... I failed with Amy Stewart in the middle school. I don't know if yeah. you remember Amy from earlier, right? <laughs> that shit just, passed. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have a specific example, uh, but I will say that in each one of those situations, what I've discovered is it's been a communication gap uh, that I've been responsible for, right? And... I like to talk a lot. I believe that I verbalize what I'm thinking as a leader and my vision and hopefully invite people to have the opportunity to get inspired by that vision. But anytime that I've encountered someone who's taken some time to to really get on board, it's come down to a lack of communication on my part. What I've discovered about myself is I've really had to find comfort um, and accept the fact that People find clarity at different times, in different moments, and in different ways. And just because I'm at the state where I believe that clarity should be present uh, doesn't mean that the person that I'm here to serve has complete clarity in what it is I'm thinking, verbalizing, or trying to move the organization to do. So I've discovered a great deal of patience, understanding, and empathy uh, when really serving other people uh, and really focusing in on how can I better provide them opportunities to continue to see clarity um, in this journey that we're in together. The empathy piece, I think, is really important, like that it kind of goes back to the building trust is because that matters 
a lot. Like if I can step into these classrooms and see the teachers with exactly what they are going through, what they're dealing with, what their day-to-day looks like, I think that that is kind of an ultimate thing to keep in mind is that I can relate. Like I can be empathic in that way. I was in the classroom for years. I know what it feels like to have a class full of 15, four-year-olds who are all different personalities and um, trying to teach them along with just the normal struggles of a, of a classroom. Um, so I, I like that. I'm glad that you brought that up. Here's our next insight. All the things you would want out of a leader, it's just what your coworkers want from you. Consistency, empathy, understanding. And if you're still not seeing eye to eye, just keep trying to talk it out. Bridging the communication gap is the only way to find true connection. But there's one last secret ingredient, and for that, we're going back to Grandma Watson's kitchen table. What I've been sharing with educators across the country is this notion of when you leave, I'm offering you a to-go plate of joy. I'm not sure about you, but I had a couple uncles, every family get together, they would bring 60 piece Tupperwares and try to take food home with them, right? My grandma always made sure (laughs) everybody had a to-go bag, a to-go plate, a to-go dish, but she offered them something to leave her house with. Um, So what I would just encourage you to to think about is is Grandma Watson's notion of to-go plate to joy when when educators that you're supporting um, as an instructional coach, when they leave your space, Uh, making sure you've poured a bit of joy into them so they they remain thrilled, passionate, and excited about educating and changing the lives of of our youth. And if you can offer them a little something uh, to keep them joyful, uh, then that relationship can can thrive and, and ultimately your community will as well. Do you feel full up? Do you feel like you have some some good ideas to go back to your work with? I do. Yeah, I definitely do. I got a page of notes that I was scribbling furiously as we were talking. So I'm a processor. It's going to take me a good 24 hours to process everything. (laughs) But I so appreciate all of the ideas and yeah, everything that you said. It is so helpful and just appreciate you spending, spending your time with me today. Thank you for your service. You've got a, a big lift. You're doing some important work. Um, people like Courtney and I, we're, we're here to just lean into us. Anything we do to support you, just say the word. Uh, but definitely an inspiration today. I've got a page of notes myself. Not sure if you can see them, uh, but did some <laughs> scribbling myself and got some reflection as well, just because of the inspiration you've offered. So thank you for your service. Thank you for what you're doing for the kids in your school community. Uh, you're changing lives. And um, that's something to be proud about. Huh. Well, thanks. Thanks to Andrea for coming to us with this important question, and to Marlon Stiles for his indefatigable passion and pragmatic advice. We'll include a link in the show notes if you want to check out more of Marlon's work. Now, do you have any other trust issues to solve? I bet you do. Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. We might just have you on the show. And if this conversation moved you, please, please, please give us a rating and a review. Share it with a friend. Remember, we're all in this together. So let's help each other. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is senior editor. Rosemary Belson and Jabari Butler produced this episode. 
Merritt Jacob is senior technical director and composed our theme music. Charles Duhigg created the show. Carvel Wallace is my co-host. And I'm Courtney Martin. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.